Good morning. We begin our uh, Discern series. This is our first week and our first day of this new series. What we're looking at is the ability of a believer not just to know what's going on in the world around them, but to know what God is doing, to know how to respond to what God is doing and how to live with a level of of confidence and a level of certainty, even in uncertain times, because of this whole practice of spiritual discernment. One of the things that uh, I get to do is that I uh, teach in a doctoral class or a doctoral program, which is about global leadership. It's about leadership across cultures and cross-cultural leadership and the formation of such leaders. And and one of the things that you begin to realize is across every culture and across you know everybody's formation that spiritual discernment and beginning to understand what God is doing and having the wisdom to apply what God is doing is what makes someone really a good leader. In some ways, you can be a person who leads other people, but if you don't lead your own life well, then your leadership is suspect. So we spend a lot of time when we're helping uh, the formation of spiritual leaders in teaching them how to first lead their own life, to lead yourself. So discernment is a key to this. This quote by someone who writes a lot on spiritual discernment was very, uh, it, was, it, it formed a framework. Listen to this. Discernment in its fullness takes a practiced heart, fine-tuned to hear the word of God and the singleness or the single-mindedness to follow that word in love. It is truly a gift from God, but not one drop from the skies fully formed. It is a gift cultivated by a prayerful life and the search for self-knowledge. So to lead yourself well, it can't just be that you understand things in a in a conceptual way, but rather what this this spiritual director is is referencing here is that you have to have a practiced heart. That there's something about wisdom, there's something about spiritual discernment that it takes experience, it takes failures, it takes adaptation, you have to change. But the key in all of it is that not so much are you tuned in to your own opinions and your own your own voice in a way, but you're actually learning to be tuned in to the very word of God. And he says, and this is very biblical, that that to really be a discerning person, you have to tune out all the distracting voices and in a single-minded way, follow the word of God, not because you have to, but because of love, because the motivation is not pride, it's not fear, the heart motivation is love, humility. This can't be done without a prayerful life. That's why we're at Risen King, we're always, always emphasizing everything leads to prayer. Uh, when Spurgeon was asked, which is more important, you know, praying or reading your Bible, he said, which is more important, breathing out or breathing in? 
I mean, that, that is what we're talking about in the spiritual discernment of life. God is gifting you his wisdom, but your heart has to be practiced to receive it and prayerful to receive it. And the idea here is that <clears throat> you can't do it. Like I, I see people with a lot of knowledge and even a lot of intellectual gifts, but somehow they're lacking in self-awareness, lacking in self-knowledge. There are some heartbreaking situations that I'm seeing right now with people that I love who are in difficult ministry situations because the leader lacks self-knowledge. They have gifts, they have you know, charisma, they have all kinds of things, but they lack awareness of themselves, and so their discernment is limited because they're unwilling to really look at their own lives and how they don't lead themselves well. This has always been a problem. The problem of Christians stopping short of maturity. And maturity is evidenced by wisdom. And maturity is evidenced by spiritual discernment. This has always been a problem. In Hebrews chapter 5, listen what the, the writer says in verse 11. I, we have much to say about this, he says. But it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. It's solid food. Now this is, this is really, this is the key verse, verse 14. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use, again, remember, practiced heart, who by constant use have trained themselves to discern good from evil. So discernment and being able to discern in its most general sense is an evidence of spiritual maturity that you have not limited your progress towards Christ and towards conformity to the image of Christ. In its most general sense, it's the capacity to recognize and to respond to the presence and the activity of God, both in the ordinary moments and in the larger decisions of our life. You see, there should be something so different about you than, than anyone who does not know God, anyone who does not have a relationship with God. There should be something so different because in every circumstance of your life, you should be able to discern the presence and the activity of God. That is a key call upon the life of the believer. And it makes all the difference in the world. Uh, not only did the writer of Hebrews talk about this, and we'll look some more at what he said, but the Apostle Paul says, this is the key to the, to the gospel-centered life. It's the key of the life of the person who said, look what Jesus has done for me. He has loved me when I didn't deserve it. He has died for me and been treated the way I deserve so that now I'm treated the way he deserves. The person who's realized it's what I've received from God that makes me a Christian, not what I've done for God. And, and Paul says, Here, here's what is asked of you now that you've received Christ. Be transformed, he said. 
by the renewing of our minds. What kind of renewal, mind renewal is that? It's spiritual discernment. And how do I know that? Because he says, so that the purpose of the renewal of your mind is that you can discern the will of God. You see the you can see the presence of God. You can see you can see the activity of God in every area of your life. And then you begin to realize what God is up to is good. What God is up to is acceptable. What God is up to is perfect. Lisa and I were, were talking about this specific thing is that that you can't help but go through seasons of sadness. You can't help but go through seasons where loved ones are going through difficulty, trials, sicknesses. Sometimes even we lose some of our closest friends uh, through death or, or through transfers or whatever it might be. Life does not go the way we expect. And, and the healthy human emotion of that is sadness. But I have yet to see a human being who can stay just sad without having conclusions about their sadness. And the conclusions that you make about your sadness will either advance you forward into maturity or it'll take you backwards to where you have to be taught again and again the elemental and the elementary teachings of the gospel because you don't have a foundation for discernment. And it's interesting because one of the books I was reading is not just talking about discernment for the individual, but this discernment for a church, discernment for a family, is that God wants to give you discernment that can, that can penetrate and, and give you uh, blessings in every area of your life. But discernment means that you, you begin to have this renewed mind that can separate, that can discriminate, to, can determine and, and decide, and even to distinguish between two things, good and best, bad and good. So the good that spiritual discernment sees is that which is of God. And then it draws us because we're seeing it, we're, we're recognizing it, we're experiencing it. it. The good draws us closer to God. Now, that good can be in the context of very bad circumstances. But that takes spiritual discernment because if all you know of good is connected to circumstances and people, you will always struggle to be truly discerning. Your discernment, my discernment, comes from heaven, comes from revelation from God himself. And it also helps us to, to, to really distinguish what is evil. You see, what is evil doesn't always appear evil. But what is evil is that which is not of God. What is evil is that which draws us away from God. It's this commitment, you see, it's this practice heart, it's this finely tuned heart to discerning and doing the will of God through the help of the Holy Spirit that distinguishes spiritual discernment from every other kind of discernment. Well, this passage that I read to you from Hebrews chapter 5, you have to realize that almost 2,000 years ago, the author of this epistle found himself in a very difficult situation. He had to admonish a group of readers because they were in danger of abandoning Christ in favor of going back to the old covenant, of leaving the new covenant with Christ, going back to the old covenant 
even though they had been instructed, many of them had probably been instructed by the Apostle Paul in the new covenant of Christ. He had brought them into relationship with God through Christ. They had heard the testimonies of Christ's earthly ministries. You know, and so here's a group of people who had had what I would call almost like direct apostolic preaching, teaching from the apostles themselves. And yet when their circumstances became difficult and when it became advantageous for them to leave their faith in Christ and go back to their old covenant religion, their self-interest and their self-protection and their lack of discernment was having them go back in order to be safe, in order to not be persecuted. And so the writer of Hebrews in verse 13 of chapter 5 that I read to you, he talks about the abilities that there are for those who only feed on the milk of the Christian faith. He says those who live on milk are unskilled in the word of righteousness because they are children. In other words, they think that by going back to their old religion, they can produce or perform a righteousness which will be acceptable to God. Not having understood truly and the only righteousness that makes you acceptable to God is the righteousness of Christ. If they go back to their old performance religion, then they will have to stand before God on their own record, and their own record will condemn them. But the record of righteousness of Christ is transferred to every believer. See, this is, in a way, he's saying this is the milk that begins to take you to where Christ and and where the Holy Spirit and the Father can take you into the deep truths of spiritual discernment. But it starts with the foundation. If the foundation of your life isn't that I have no record of righteousness, I cannot perform my way into acceptance with God, then no meat will ever be able to be given to you. Nothing more will be will be done except just that original milk and that original elementary teachings. So, you know, and you see this with some people is they want to hear all the positives of you know I'm uh, I'm I want the I want to know I'm loved by God. I want to know I'm special to God. I want to know that I'm important. I want to know that I'm you know when I die I go to heaven. Well, those are in some ways those are. Those are the elementary teachings. And if we don't go, you know, if we don't begin to build on, you know, what, what's going to happen to me when these teachings are tested in my life, when it begins to cost me something, what's going to happen to me when I am sitting in a situation and I can't tell what is evil and what is good. And again, what I mean by that is the good is what is of God and draws you to God. And the evil is what is not of God and takes you away from God. And we see this so often. We see people saying, well, I really love this person. And I know God would want me to have this person. And so they go into an illicit relationship or an immoral relationship because they think they will find fulfillment in what they're calling love, which is probably little more than desire and lust. 
but they're saying it looks good, so therefore it must be God, but not realizing it's not of God, and it's actually drawing them away from God. You see, only spiritual discernment can step in there and say, look, your heart is bound up in foolishness. And unless your heart begins to get free of its foolishness, you will not be spiritually discerning. You will not be able to move on, like the writer here says, to solid food. By the time the Hebrews author wrote this letter, this audience was not in very good shape. You know, they had received the gospel, but they had been immediately tested. It was going to cost them to follow Christ. And so they had left their pursuit of maturity. They had left their pursuit of practice spiritual discipline. And they began to they began to really even forget the basics of their Christian faith. Having only lived on a diet of milk, when the real trouble came, they did not have enough strength or enough stamina to resist the kind of temptation, the kind of persecution that came their way. Look, I don't know what the future holds for us, but there is a heaviness, there is a sadness, there's fear, there's uncertainty, there's social uh, unrest, there's racial injustice around us. Do you not understand that in the midst of such circumstances, you cannot be a Christian who is milk-fed and survive? That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He says you have to press on. You have to press on to where you're getting the meat, you're getting the content, you're getting the substance, and that you yourself are becoming strong. You're becoming a person of substance, a person of discernment, a person of of wisdom. Listen what again what the author of Hebrews says, the mature are those who have ha- who have their powers of discernment trained by what constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You know, there's a number of things to remember when he says this. The first is maturity, strength, wisdom only comes by constant practice of discernment. It, the wisdom of God is waiting for you, but it's waiting for the practiced heart. I don't know if you can be with me every day, but I know that every day of the week we have a, a, a workbook that you can work through with us. Every Sunday for, for eight weeks, we are going after this because we want to be people who discern the presence and the activity of God in the midst of whatever else is happening in our circumstances. And though we may at times be sad, at times we may be disheartened, we will have the strength to stand up to our our sadness. And in the midst of all these things, we will see what is of God, what is drawing us to God, where is the presence of God, where is the activity of God. It's more than just behavior. It's understanding what is good and what is evil. It's overcoming our own limitations and the, the limitations of, of, of the sin in our life, of the flesh in our life. So we, in other words, this practice is that we, we exercise and we grow in discernment as we study and apply God's word. 
we are really looking for more than just good behavior. We are looking to distinguish between what is true and what is false, between what is real and what is not real. Yesterday I gave, in the Sunday sermon, I gave a definition of biblical wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is competence in regards to how life really works. Think about this for a minute. If life is always shocking you, if life is always disheartening you, if life is always destroying your emotional strength, then that means that you don't understand how life really works. If you're constantly complaining how unfair things are, if you're constantly uh, grumbling, complaining, murmuring, the world isn't going to change for you. You're going to have to have a strength to face a fallen world. You're going to have to have the strength to face the prince of the power of the air, and, and the Bible even calls the devil the god of this world and the schemes of the devil, he says you must be aware of. So wisdom would say when I, when I am overwhelmed, when I am overcome, when I have lost my hope, wisdom would say, okay, something about my view of reality is off. I have not practiced, I have not tuned my heart to see what God is up to. Because Jesus said, even in the worst of times, my father is always at work. And then Jesus said, and I too am working. I just want to remind you of that Proverbs 1 passage and how important wisdom is. Solomon, in his wisdom, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said the rest of the world is basically divided up into two types of fools. One is the simple fool, and one is what I would call a, a self-deceived fool. So the simple fool is basically a person who's undeveloped, unformed, is so in entangled with the approval of others, with, with what the crowd thinks. And it could be the conservative crowd, it could be the liberal crowd, it could be the, it could be the work crowd, it could be anybody, but the idea is uh, living for Others to say and do things that either affirm, approve, or give attention, or whatever it is. So affected by what friends think, so affected by what family thinks, that as a person, the simple person is undeveloped in wisdom. And therefore, because following the crowd and following and, and being a people pleaser, there's a waywardness from God. Paul says it so distinctly, he says, if I please men, I do not please God. If I'm a servant of God, then I can't be a people pleaser, Paul is saying. The, the self-deceived fool is the opposite of, the, of a kind of normal foolishness because it's, it's a person who sees themselves as sufficient in and of themselves, see themselves as wise in their own eyes. So here's a person who the world's changing around them and everything's going on, but they don't need anybody. They don't listen to anybody. They're set in their ways. They see their own way as the right way. So it's a self-righteousness. There's opinionatedness, stubbornness, angry. And if this person is corrected, anger is the response because there's a, there's a defensiveness. 
And it's a person who can never say they're sorry. It's a person who can never apologize because they can never be wrong. This is a self-deceived fool. Now, the truth is we have both elements in us in certain areas of our life. And what we find in the scripture, and it's very blunt here, because wisdom in some ways is a sword that cuts away our fleshly dependence and clarifies our dependence on the Spirit and on the Word of God alone. But wisdom, you see, is in touch with reality. The simple are in touch with the opinions and, and the approval of people. The fool is only, only locked into their own way of thinking, not needing anyone else, believing that they, in and of themselves, self-protective and self-sufficient. Most of us are not as extreme as these two pictured in Proverbs 1, but we, we, if we're honest, we can see where we have been both a simple fool and a self-deceived fool. Here's the interesting thing as I've studied the Bible my whole life. is The Bible is simple enough for a child to wade in, yet deep enough for an elephant to drown. This is the beauty of the scripture. I cannot help but think of what David said. The law of the Lord is perfect. Some of the word of God, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. This is his heart for us, is to make us wise. He, doesn't, he knows we're simple. He knows we're self-deceived. He knows that leaves us wide open for the deception of the deceiver himself. But he loves us. And he wants to take the most simple of us, the weakest of us, the poorest of us, and to make us just shining examples of the very wisdom of God. And so, think with me over these next eight weeks. Make a commitment with me. Uh, I've been studying and working at wisdom for years and years, and yet, as I've done this study, as I've written this workbook. I've been so convicted. And at the same time, I've been so encouraged that God wants to speak to us and he wants us to speak to others out of the wisdom, out of discernment that he's going to develop in us. I mean, think about this question with me. How do you answer the questions and challenges that come up in your life? Do you have a clearly articulated process for discerning God's will. Remember, part of the discernment is you see, you begin to see God's best for you. See, this is what makes me so motivated to do this, not just for myself, but for you, is God's best is for you. But it takes a practiced heart. See, our approach should be so different from secular models, whether it's individual or as a church, or as a family. But because we don't really know what that difference is, many Christian organizations I've been a part of, even some churches that I've been a part of, while being faithful or wanting to be faithful to God's word, and saying that they were willing to be Holy Spirit-led, all they did was have kind of an obligatory devotional with a little prayer at the beginning, and then no way to access the wisdom of God from start to finish. This has been one of the things since I came to Risen King 17 years ago, as I said to our elders, I said to our leaders, our staff, I said, we will be led by the Holy Spirit. 
But that won't mean that we just say a prayer at the beginning. It means that he will be speaking to us and he will speak to us through each other throughout the meeting if we will if we will tune our hearts to hear him. And I've been so blessed and pleased to be part of a leadership in a church that says, unless the Lord leads us, we're not going to do it. And I've been so blessed to be a part of a church where the leaders have said, when there were big issues, they didn't go to the people and say, you need to provide more money. They went to God and said, God, what is blocking? What is keeping you from fulfilling the promise that you will supply all of our needs? And God was quick to give by his spirit to our leaders the sins in our church or the restrictions in our church or even the past issues of our church that was keeping the flow of his blessing and his provision. Our God is a God of blessing. That's his default setting. If anyone lacks wisdom, James says, let him ask of God and God will give it, he says. But let him, let him not be double-minded unstable in all his ways. You know, the, the idea is that the double-minded person who asks but then will not receive or will not practice what they've received is double-minded and they can expect nothing from God, James says. So what we're really talking about is not just, not just having a concept of being led by the Spirit, but having a life experienced, practiced in living by his spirit and by the wisdom of his spirit. This is the commitment I'm asking, is that we would discern everything from individual matters, family matters, spouse decisions, everything in our business, our education, everything would be moved forward as we hear from God together. So here's a question. I know I need to finish up here. If we're not pursuing the will of God, if you're not pursuing God's will for your life, or if your family's not pursuing God's will together, or if our church is not pursuing God's will together in very intentional ways, then what are we doing? Is it that we're just doing our own will then? Is it that we're just doing what seems best according to our own thinking and planning? Is basically our our decisions based on what's good for our ego? See that when we begin to operate on the same page in discernment, we do this together as believers, a whole new dimension, a whole entirely different reality, the wisdom of God that is beyond human wisdom. It's available to us, but we have to avail ourselves of that wisdom. And the more we open ourselves up to it, the more we will experience. So here's what I'm going to ask. Over the next eight, eight weeks, create some space each day. Could be in your car, could be in your shower, could be, you know, in some place where you can get quiet. Process what we're talking about. Are you a simple fool? Are you a self-deceived fool? Are you still on a diet of milk? Are you into that place of maturity and you have a commitment to maturity and God has meat for you? Meat that no one else knows. That's what Jesus said to us. My father has meat which you know not. But here's the thing. 
Don't just let it be private during this time. Make a decision that somebody else is going to share that journey. It could be your spouse. Because what happens is you have to take what's in your head and you have to process it. It becomes more real. Share it with a friend, a ministry partner, a spouse. Ask, hey, can we go on a journey together for these eight weeks to become spiritually mature? To have practiced discernment? Well, I don't know if you understand this or know this, but you're a leader. Whether you're leading your family or a business or a school or whatever it is, you're a leader. But there's a responsibility in any assignment God has given that you first lead yourself. Have you come to a, a conviction? Do you share with me the conviction that discerning and doing the will of God is how you intend to lead your life? Do you have that conviction that discerning and doing the will of God is how you intend to live your life? Your eye has not yet seen all that he can do if you make this your conviction. Lord, I will lead my life by discerning, practice discernment and doing the will of God. Not my will, but yours be done. Would you receive that? That's my prayer for you today. In Jesus' name, amen.